calls to action on clickable buttons, right? They have to make sense. They just have to make sense. All right. The difference between call us now versus set up a call, right? Which one's going to work better? Call us now almost always is going to work better than set up a call. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I am your host, Tom Meredith, the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. I am joined by two of our extremely seasoned and experienced copywriters, Lynn Swayze and Aaron Crocker. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. And this, Yeah, so this is a show titled Confessions of a Copywriter, but I got to find out from you guys, what are you going to do with your next career now that ChatGPT <laughs> has taken away copywriting? <laughs> I might become the VP of Marketing somewhere. Yeah, have my job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. Look, ChatGPT, it's all the rage. It's all in the news. It's everything. It's to everybody at the moment. And here's the one thing you need to remember about ChatGPT above everything else. Once whatever it is you've written and you're ready to take the market, you have to take the market, right? There has to be a media buyer involved at a season who knows what in the world they're doing to be able to make it convert and get in the right eyeballs. So never forget, no matter how savvy your ChatGBT copy is, you better have a copywriter, copywriting team that knows what in the world they're doing to get it into the right eyeballs. Yeah. And I think you know, one, of, one of the things we really want to hit on today are copywriting fundamentals. And you can't, even if you're using ChatGPT, you still need these fundamentals. Glenn, you were going to say something about ChatGPT, it sounded like? <laughs> I have so many things. It, no matter how good your AI written copy is, there are still other fundamentals like your offer or good media buying or hitting the right awareness levels like with our camp system that have to be in place. And this is true whether it's AI copy or human copy or whatnot. The same applies. So I guess AI written copy is not this magic thing. Is it going to be better than no copy? Yes. Like it's going to be demonstrably better than you not having any copy where you need copy. And it may be better than many business owners first pass at copy, but it's not magic. Yeah, agreed. And I think one of the things that people often over give ChatGP too much credit, but really the thing that it is excellent at in my experience is really filling up the blank page with the starting point. And then it's really relying on your experience and knowledge to build on top of that. So going over to some of the fundamentals, mm -hmm. like where should a business owner start when trying to think about copy for their business? The customer. That's where you always start. The biggest problem you can make, or biggest problem you can do is to write what you want to write instead of what the reader needs to read to take you up on your offer. And so the... the the avatar research, knowing who you're writing to is number one. Even before the online world, and when we were still doing direct mail, list was number one. List came in first before anything. So your list in the world of writing, any kind of promotion is who you're writing to. I'm agreeing with Aaron. Yeah. So many people, whether they're developing offers or funnels or writing any copy or ads, they always start with themselves, right? What do I want to charge? What do I want to sell? What do I want to say? Why did I start this business? What's my why? And your prospect isn't thinking about any of this. They're not thinking about what problem you think you solve. They're not 
thinking about your product. They're thinking, they're waking up and drinking their coffee in the morning and thinking about something that probably has nothing to do with you, <laughs> right? And understanding where they are in their headspace and who that person is essential. But too many business owners will never get there with chat GPT or not because they're thinking about what do I want to say? Does this make me look good? And that just doesn't work. So what you guys are saying is the customers don't care about me? <laughs> no. Like me. <laughs> Only one person gets to be narcissistic in the buying relationship. And it's not you, the seller. That right there is a tweet quote right there. Now. <laughs> so you talk about getting into the head of the customer. There are a couple of different kinds of customers. There's like the real customer, what you think your ideal customer is. Mm. And what I mean by it is if you don't have a lot of customers to really know who your customer is, how do I start getting in the mind of my future customer? Then you start with problems. The problems are markets, right? What is the number one problem you can solve for your customer? If you're not clear who your avatar is, get clear on the problem and then begin from there. And if not problem, then, you know, what I call like pain points or symptoms of the problem, right? Because the problem you solve, that's a little bit of like a marketing copywriting thing, right? But they're feeling pain points that they may not know could be tied to the problem you solve. People are visiting my landing page and not converting, right? They might think it's a tech platform problem or an ad problem or a copy problem, or they might think it's just that their logo is wrong, right? They don't know, but they're feeling a symptom, a pain point. And most of your customers think that pain points are problems. Work backwards. If you don't know who your avatar is, then think about what pain points and ultimately what problems, what you sell solves. I think not to make, bring ChatGPT always into this, but I think that's a really good <laughs> Like a good prompt for when you're starting off with some chat GPT stuff of writing specific copy for the specific pain point for this customer to get a, whether that's helping you with the research or starting off writing some of the copy. I think that's probably a pretty good prompt to help you get closer to speaking to your customer. Yeah. Um, I know there that. are a lot. There's lots of other issues with chat GPT and some of the legal stuff. I know, Lynn, you've been going deep on the legal <laughs> stuff with chat GPT. Yeah, I follow, I follow it a little bit. I mean, there's the copyright issues, right, of what information and data, and obviously there's different algorithms and different data sets, but all machine learning and AI requires big sets of data. And if that those big sets of data weren't acquired with the right licenses and whatnot. Now there are legal issues and there's starting to be some cases. Getty, I think, has one. And I know there are a few others where, like, regulation hasn't landed yet. And we know, at least in the U.S., that tech regulation is very behind. But I guess me as a business owner, if it were on my shoulders, I would be wary of making all of my content AI written when there's the potential that it's all violating copyright. And sometimes AI is spitting out like basically verbatim copy that someone else has written some article or whatnot. And obviously there's workarounds, right? Like editing your copy and things like that. But I don't know, there are, there are legal issues that haven't been resolved yet. I think business owners, if they're going to use AI written copy, just need to be aware of and not just, oh, I've got copy. I'm going to put it, publish it. It usually needs more finessing. Yeah. And it is a risk for the business, mm -hmm. even it's easy to explain it away as a business owner saying either everybody else is doing it or it's all on the internet. But 
in reality, it hasn't been litigated or regulated in any way to actually know that. Mm-hmm. You are still taking a guess that it will be okay. Sure. The Giddy, go ahead. Giddy uh, Hub is another one where their co-pilot coding app, not app, but AI app, has lifted non-open source code and used it. And you know, when these AI apps are charging for it, now you're charging for things that you don't own. The Getty image one is hilarious to me. <laughs> the backstory is, I think it was stability trained. I know they've trained on all the images on the internet, but you can prompt it in such a way where you will get an image with a Getty watermark on it, which is clearly <laughs> that they've been nice. trained on the, these non-licensed Getty images. Like it's literally non-licensed because it has a watermark on it. So Fascinating. Getting back to our target audience, tell us like how you really get into their minds writing copy that resonates with them. Low-hanging fruit for me is their, their customer base, what they're saying. The voice of customer always is where I draw the line, go there, mm-hmm. there to find out what they're saying, what they're feeling, their frustrations, their happiness and joys, everything that goes into it. Personally, I'll create a spreadsheet and then I will begin to look for the emotive words, the top words that express emotion, both good and bad, and try to filter out the indifferent for the most part. And I'll create a whole list. I'll say there's so many words of love, right, and my research. And I'll just pick pinpoint all of these emotive words, and then I'll begin to get a sense of the emotional feel over the customer. Digging into emotive words a little bit, I know emotion plays a strong role in copywriting because you are trying to drive action. And usually emotion is the way to do that. Talk about some of the more emotional, there's a variety of emotions, right? Which are, do you guys find the most powerful to lean into or is it just you want to do some of everything? Ooh, I have favorites. Yeah, bring them. My absolute favorite is a desire for control, which I don't know if that's in your list of emotions, Erin, but I find that if I don't know what emotion I want to pull and I can only pick one, it's going to be a desire for control. So controlling whatever their situation is. So if it's more leads, it's being able to have predictability and know that you can turn the machine up and turn the machine down. So controlling that aspect, which then leads to control in other areas of their life. Once they have their revenue streams, then they can go on vacation or they can invest in their business or or so. That is my favorite just because it works. Nobody wants unknowns. Nobody wants things randomly happening to them. It's such a human need, probably stemming from death, right? (laughs) It's such a human survival need to want to control what happens. So that is my ultimate go to. I'm a very weird copywriter. So yeah. Don't, for all listening, don't let Lynn fool you. She's brilliant. This one for me, it's, it becomes to answer the question more succinctly, it becomes a, a industry and offer kind of question, right? Are we trying to drive leads to a financial market where they're typically are driven by two primary emotions, fear of loss and, and a breed, right? And playing on both of those have become very important. I have in my own evolution as a copywriter, I find myself motivated or I want to write happy, emotive stuff, right? There's enough Mm -hmm. negative in the world nowadays. And I would only touch nowadays on the pain point just long enough to get off it. So instead of dragging it out and breaking you across the coals and... They're already feeling it. They're all... Your ideal avatar is already feeling. They're living in the pain 
So why prolong it? Just long enough to say, hey, we got an answer for you. Even further to pull them into the ideal state, right? That transformation. Here's what it, the promise. Here's what it could be. Like, can you imagine your life like this? Yeah, we know. You, okay, you so briefly man, reaffirmed that your life is this way and these things suck and it's painful. And yeah, if we think about it for too long, it's going to impact your survival and your marriage will fall apart and the world will end. Okay, we got that. But now let's think about what could be possible, right? What if all of this stuff was flipped? And, okay, so that's amazing, right? How are you going to get there? That's our thing, right? And that's where you get to unique mechanism, where you get to connecting those dots. But it is, Aaron, to your point, it's essential to paint that picture. Because if we don't paint it as copywriters, who knows what image they're going to have, right? And we want to be able to control that. As they move through the funnels, through their buyer's journey, the more we can control in terms of back to control, (laughs) the more we can say, don't think about your problem this way. Don't think about the solutions this way. Think it... Think about it the way we want you. I mean, it's indoctrination, right? But think about it the way we want you to think about it, because that also makes them more likely to buy, but also solve their problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be painted. And some business owners want to avoid that. So they want to just say, here's my thing, buy. But you'll only ever reach 5 10% of your potential audience by just saying, here's my thing, buy. Hmm. It's not enough. Yeah. All right. So, so far we've got through get out of, it's not you that matters it's your customer <laughs> so go talk to your customer you like actually need to talk to your customers and like really listen to what their emotional language is what their pain points are what their desires are how much control mm-hmm. they want so this has been very customer focused let's talk about a little bit more like business owner focus how does brand voice fit into this whole thing let's just start with this way your brand is not what you say it is it's what your customers say it is so again, it begins with a customer. You may have a brand voice that, that you want to stay in tune with, but if your customers are saying something different, your great pause should be, maybe we ought to rethink that. And many clients have done that, right? Say, for example, Dove, right? This soap and skin product company. When they totally changed their marketing to more realistic human bodies, right? And instead of having it all about their primary message, it shifted universally to what the customers were saying. So just make sure that your brand voice is what you think it is. That would be my challenge number one. But beyond that, if you have it dialed in, then you have to push that message as strongly as you can with whatever the product and offer you have. Yeah. I like to get in the super nitty gritty when it comes to voice. There's two factors at play, right? Again, the business owner, three factors, the business owner, the kind of message they want to convey, and then the customer. And one disconnect I see often is that, especially in more like personality led businesses, the business owner will have a specific VAK. And by VAK, you're like learning speaking style. So if you're visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and they've given this example before, we once had a coach, right? And this coach was so kinesthetic that she used almost no visual or auditory words. So it was feel empowered to build your business in a way that supports you and very kinesthetic language. The problem was, is, I think, and it was that way, most people are not kinesthetic. And if you only use that kind of language, it sounds good to you, right? I use sound. I'm more auditory. If you use language that, that, that feels good to you, it may not be resonating with your ideal audience because most people are a mix. Most people are more visual, got some auditory, pure kinesthetic people are actually more of a minority. 
And so if you're in your brand voice only using one or only using one that sounds really like you, you might actually be missing connecting with your ideal audience. Some, some buyers are very kinesthetic, construction workers, right? Probably going to be more visual kinesthetic as a rule. On the other hand, lawyers are probably going to be more visual, right? Because they're reading all the time and writing and looking at things. So we want, as a copywriter, I want to write things that do still sound like the brand and have consistency or sound like the guru, but I'm always keeping in mind that I still need to use phrasing and words that actually resonates with the mix, the audience mix. But the same thing goes to, are we doing a podcast or a video or an ebook? You really want to hit as many modalities as possible with everything you put out. So I think those are my biggest like takeaways for business owners because most people don't know to look for that. Can we dive a little bit deeper into VAK? I remember when I first learned about it. And so that's VAK is what visual, auditory, kinesthetic, kinesthetic mm-hmm. being that touchy, feely, that's how you experience the world. How do yeah. you, what are some of the, like the, the, what's some of the stuff you look for and what's some of the language that you would use in your copy for that? And you hit on it a little bit. But. It's actually the phrasing, right? So when you are, most people have, everybody has all of these modalities, right? And these are the same things like your learning style, right? How do you like to take in information? How do you like to convey information? And everybody's a little bit different. So this is how people think. It's how they're encoding information in their brain. And it's going to feel off when they don't see it that way. So what I look for are specific phrases. So again, let's say it's auditory. Does that resonate? Does it ring a bell? This may sound good. Does this sound good? If it's visual, it's going to be things like, can you see this? I'm going to paint a picture for you. Visualize. Let's see. What's the other one? And kinesthetic, it's this is the key. Open the door. Let's take a journey. It's going to be kinesthetic. And there are neutral words. Discover, explore, imagine. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. And as copywriters, we really want to have a mix and really good copywriters will employ a mix. And the same thing for stories, Aaron, you might be able to talk about this. When we write stories, we want to employ all the senses, right? So a smell, a taste, a feeling, sounds, visuals, movement. It's the same thing, right? We want to make sure that people are engaged in all the senses and that we're not excluding anybody by focusing only on one. Yeah, so I guess to answer your question, Tom, phrasing. I'm looking at specific words right. and making sure that I'm aligning these things between the guru brand voice and the customer base. And Aaron, we, we can hit on storytelling now or later. It's on my list of topics. But I think I want to hit on one thing. Is how, like, how deep copywriters should be thinking about this. We talked about just this, just now, like the VAK phrasing. But right before that, it was emotive words and finding these emotions. Like... It's not just writing words on a page. It's like under deep mm-hmm. understanding and then communicating that through words. And this, as a video guy myself, this all translates over to maybe because I'm a, a visual person, but like the video side, right? Like I can think of how to demonstrate things, like emotions, get, generate feelings, and also mm-hmm. using action or visuals and even sounds to really communicate a message through a video. All right. So it seems like we're progressing a little bit even though as much as you guys are fighting me towards customer or the client side, right? <laughs> so brand, I know it's still, the, your brand isn't what you as the, the, the business want to say. It's what your people are saying about you. And so it's still important. But now let's get a little bit into the product and or service. How do you guys figure out what the actual 
best value proposition is. And what is the value proposition? Value proposition is the value that you bring to your prospect, right? In the simplest of terms. So what is the value that you're bringing to the audience in exchange for money? And so your value proposition really needs to align with the beliefs and the desires of your customer. Now, it all begins and ends, lives and breathes with the customer's wants, needs, and desires. But that said, sometimes the customer doesn't know what they want. Let's be honest. Ask anybody, what do you want in life? And it's hard for them to articulate. What is it that you don't want in your life? And now suddenly they can start clicking it off, right? Sometimes knowing what they don't want is really a good starting place. And I would I would use chat GPT for that research right there out of the gate. How would you go about using chat GPT if you were to give a rough idea of a prompt? In regard to the, oh, this, you mean? Yeah. yeah, it would be simple. I'd just go out and have the conversation. I'd say, tell me about, I would find the market, whatever the market is, right? Let's call it yeah, fitness for easy. What is it that people don't want when it comes to fitness? And I have no idea what it would bring up, but it would be a beginning spot, right? And it's simple prompting. And then I would prompt chain or prompt stack and I would ask one question after the other once it gave me a result. And then it just helps the ideation. It helps you get those research thoughts going, right? And of course, you can still do Amazon mining and, and look up fitness books and find out what the customers are saying. And so this is why the deep dive research is called deep dive instead of shallow dive. It, it takes mm -hmm. a minute to pull it together. Mine is still more manual and a little bit more intuitive. Still do the deep dive research. I'm connecting. Generally, like at least at Tier 11, when we're writing copy, we already have an offer and a product that we have to sell. So I'm connecting backwards between what are all the potential problems that this product can solve? What are those potential pain points? How does that connect to the avatar? I'm doing research on like Reddit and Quora and getting human language and mostly like how are people expressing their day in the life, how they're consuming products, how they're experiencing the problem, what frustrations they have about solutions they're trying. And then honestly, sometimes I'm like, and John Carlton actually talked about this, John Carlton, Kevin Rogers. I will sometimes just sit, try to sit in the body or the mind of the person I'm doing research on and thinking about, obviously after I do research, right? What is their job? What are they doing? What is, who is the avatar? But after that, it's, I'm sitting, I'm thinking about if they were sitting in front of me, what would they say? Or if I'm in their life, what is my life like? What kind of, what kind of things am I experiencing? What kind of pain points? And really just try to feel it, which again, super intuitive, not something <laughs> that can be like automated and more psychically connecting to the avatar, which again, I'm a weird copywriter, but hey, John Carlton does it. Can't go wrong. Oh, you can't. And to that point, one of my favorite, most underappreciated uh, copywriting books on the planet, to your point, man, is this one right here. Right. Am I doing that right? We'll get it right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So method marketing, like method acting, right? Yeah, helps you to crawl into the skin of your client and begin the uh, the emotive journey. And I'm trying to rec recall the I'm quite embarrassed that I can't pull up the author's name, the quote at the moment. But this says, "No tears in the writer, no tears in the reader." Right? If you are writing an emotive message, it just translates to the, uh, the other side. Yeah, at least get closer to being in the range of something that's going to convert. 
when you stop thinking about the brand and the product necessarily and your worries as a brand owner and start thinking about where the customer is. It's not to say there isn't still testing. We're testing awareness levels and we're testing hooks and big ideas. There, obviously, that stuff still applies, but you can at least get closer when you do get closer to their emotions and their headspace and what they care about. Because our job as copywriters is to connect those dots, right? To, to your point, Aaron, they don't necessarily know that the product or solution you sell can solve their problem. There may be a hundred products that solve their problem. Our job is that when they land on our ad or our landing page or our ebook or our webinar, or whatever it is, that marketing logic, as Todd Brown calls it, that marketing logic makes the case that, oh, hey, you have these pain points. You have, you think you have this problem. Here's the real problem. And here's how our product uniquely solves it. And now their mind is shift, right? Shifted. They've, they're convinced. And that's when conversions happen. That copy that has to be done somewhere, and that's that somewhere is generally in copy, or in copywritten scripts or presentations. All right, so I thought for sure I was going to get you guys to talk from the brand's perspective on that one, but no, you're still <laughs> customer focused. Now I got you. All right, you alluded to this a couple of times, Lynn. Unique mechanism. How do you mm. identify the unique mechanism, and that has to be like from my as the business owner's perspective, right? Unique mechanism, who you are as a, or how your brand presents itself and its values, I guess would influence the unique mechanism, but really unique mechanism is a connection between the offer and the problem solved and the ideal future state. A unique mechanism is the classic example is P90X's muscle confusion. Really had nothing to do with the brand per se, except that it differentiates the brand and the product. Muscle confusion was a new way to talk about the fact that P90X had different exercise routines on different days. And so that keeps your muscles from not growing anymore. And Aaron, you could probably describe it better than I could. And every good exercise program has this, right? So how do you differentiate in a crowded market? You say, well, ours is the only one that contains muscle confusion. So then in the minds of the person watching the infomercial, if they start thinking about other exercise programs, they'll go, but does it have muscle? Right. It has nothing to do with Beachbody, really. It has more to do with the product and how you're saying this is how we do it differently and how we do it better. Otherwise, people are going to compare features. They're going to compare price. They're going to compare brands. And I guess to that point, that's on the brand, whether or not they know the brand better or not. And unique mechanism is a way to <sighs> jazz up what makes you different. And it's not always different. It's just naming it, putting a coat of paint on it and making it sound more compelling. And some people feel that's gimmicky, but this is how marketing works because this is how human brains work. So yeah, still not back to the brand. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sensing a theme here. The so unique mechanism is really what differentiates your product and this. The how. Yeah. The how you it, your product. Yeah. So there, are, there really are two kinds of unique mechanisms. There's a unique mechanism of the problem. What unique True. problem are you having? And then there's unique mechanism of the solution. Speaking from the brand specific, unique mechanism, our camp program, our camp philosophy is certainly our 
unique mechanism to the market. And it's not gimmicky, it's proven. And this is how it came about, right? So not every unique mechanism is gimmicky like muscle confusion, which by the way, there's no such thing as muscle confusion, right? There's mental confusion, right? <laughs> but muscles, they flex and they, and they relax and that's about what they do. That was definitely a unique mechanism in its selling proposition. Right. But as far as a useful, unique mechanism, physiologically speaking, it didn't make sense. But it sold a lot. It doesn't have to. Marketing logic. That's right. That's right. I think actually our camp customer acquisition amplification methodology is a great example here because we really didn't invent anything with it. We've just taken all these pieces that exist elsewhere and put it together and gave it a gimmicky name, if we're being honest. Right, but it is a differentiator. You gotta name all of these offer elements. Yeah, it's good marketing. Just the fundamentals. Yeah, to that point, Tom, a lot of brands think they have to have something actually unique to have a unique mechanism, and that's not the case. To Aaron's point of muscle confusion, it's not really a thing, but it was a facet of the product itself that could be pulled out and made into this differentiated thing. But that is a copywriting thing, not necessarily like muscle confusion isn't really built into the product. It's just part of like, how do we make it compelling that there are so many exercises that you have to do? And this is actually really a hard sell. This it's muscle confusion. And this is how you're going to get this toned body. But every brand has, can come up with a unique mechanism. And this is really where copywriters excel. A good copywriter will know how to help you come up with unique mechanism ideas, help you test different unique mechanisms. It's what a good copywriter will do for you. And sticking on this specific example of muscle confusion, I know what the next topic would be clarity and being clear Mm. and concise. Like we've gone through the first part of this was just so much information coming in, so many voice of the customer, pain points, emotions, touch, feel, listen, and the benefits of the product really, but muscle confusion does a really good job of giving you a clear picture and clear language. How do you, as copywriters, take all of this information and come up with something clear? Or how important is clarity? King of the hill, right? There's a phrase out there that says, uh, clarity trumps persuasion. And uh, to a very large degree, that is absolutely the truth. If you're not clear about your message, then nobody is, right? And I guarantee if you're not clear on your message, your customer isn't clear. And here's the phrase, here's the writer downer for everyone. Confused customers don't buy. You confuse the customer, they're going to bump. They're going to go off to do something else as fast as you can blink an eye. You can't be confusing. And this is where testing comes in. A big part of what we do here at Tier 11 is testing different hooks, landing pages, ads. And you can't include all of it in a single asset. Like, you can't. So we have to do the research. And then we're making an educated guess, hypothesis about which hook, which big idea, which problem we're going to lean into sometimes even which avatar because brands have multiple avatars and then to Aaron's point you've got to be clear one big idea one problem one ideal future state one big unique mechanism all the way down a lot of brands try to throw the whole kitchen sink at copy and that doesn't work the clearer you are and the more focused you are the better you'll do 
Yeah, and that clarity, like you said, comes through testing. You're not going to nail it the first time. And it is important, customer feedback loop, whether that's actually talking to customers and seeing how they came up to you and what how clear your message was, or even just looking at the comments of your ads and your social posts to see if people are confused or responding in a way that gives you some insight into how much they're understanding what you're putting out there. So let's talk about CTAs and their importance. Is I guess this also tags onto clarity and clarity over being clever. Like with CTAs, it the simpler the better. Do you try to put in some sort of unique mechanism into it and tie it all together? Or is it just buy now or sign up now or give us a call? I need clarity on the question. <laughs> Sorry. Are we talking about the, well. the CTA in terms of your offer or are you talking about a CTA on a button to click over? What kind of CTA are we talking about? Yes, all of them. It's an essential no matter what. So let's just say you can't not well, have it, a call to action. But This is where my naivety as a non-copywriter comes in. I just initially went to CTA as a button, but clearly you guys are deeper thinkers about them. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Lynn, go. Oh, my gosh. So when they're essential to, yes, they need to be clear enough. So there are different types of CTAs, right? It could be oftentimes there's an initial CTA like in a sales page that before you get to the button when you want XYZ results then the next step is to book a, a clarity call with the team and you'll get blah 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 blah. so that's a, like a soft CTA but then a hard CTA that's book the call yes I want the free report click now and that's stuff we test as copywriters we often have preferences based on past results what we like to see but ultimately there is no, this is the one thing that's going to work. Because it really depends on the avatar, or not the avatar. Actually, it depends on the avatar. It depends on the awareness level of where we're at in the funnel. It depends on the warmth, right? Is this cold audience versus warm audience? Depends on the brand voice. Some brands want to be a little bit softer in you know what they direct people to do. So I can't say that there's just one way to write a call to action button. I prefer guest sets. I prefer writing things so that if somebody is reading it, because they're reading it in their mind, I prefer it to be like in their language. Yes, I want to be rushed this special guide. Parentheses, it's free. I tend to use a lot of copy in my buttons and and I like to write them with in their words, but everybody's different. But you, Aaron? Yeah, yeah. Calls to action on clickable buttons, right? They have to make sense. They just have to make sense. All right. The difference between call us now versus set up a call. Right. Which one's going to work better? Call us now almost always is going to work better than set up a call. I would assume that's untested, but this is mm -hmm. where testing comes in. More active. And uh, so you always want to have your CTA, if we're talking about clickable buttons here, to forward cast the conversation to keep it moving. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't want it to be mostly in a passive voice. You want it to be in an active voice. Right. And not be con. So one of the biggest problems, I think, in that bottom section of any sales page, opt-in page or whatnot, to your point, Aaron, active voice, using strong visual movement verbs if possible, call us now, rush me something, save my seat. But also there, the copy around the call to action has to be clear enough that people know exactly what they're going to get when they click a button or take an action. Too often brands will be like, learn more. What does the learn more button do? Is, am I going to get an info guide? Am I going to book a call? Am I, is it going to pop up with a VSL? 
who knows? And so this is where you get to long copy, short copy, but I usually err on long copy of when you click the button, you're going to be taken to a scheduling page where, you know, you're going to pick the best time and we're going to follow up with extra information to make sure that you get the most value and blah, 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 whatever. But again, giving people control by telling them what's going to happen. So they're not surprised because people, human beings don't like being surprised. We want to know what's over the hill. We want to know where the monsters are. So it's a matter of survival. But that's not, you don't follow that on a button, obviously, but somewhere in the copy around the action. And then you just keep stating the call to action in different ways over and over again. Just to sum up, it's really important that your call to action is not only clear what the action they're going to do is, but also what they're going to get from that action. So if it is a buy now, that's pretty straightforward and on its face, like I'm clicking this to go buy. But if it's- There's still like long form sales pages that will like, Aaron, I mean, you've seen this, right? Where it's like on the next page, you're going to see an order form and it looks like this and you're going to fill out your information. It's 100% secure. And then with some harder sales, they don't leave anything. They being copywriters don't leave anything to guessing because we don't want our avatars guessing. We don't want buyers guessing because if they have to guess and to Aaron's point, if confused, they're not going to buy. That's something to test. You test without, you test with. You test the call to action button being in the customer's voice versus the brand talking to the customer. Yeah, well. you test all of it. Yeah. All right, Aaron. So now we're going to move to probably your favorite topic, storytelling. At least Ooh. what I perceive your favorite topic to be. How does storytelling fit into all of this? Like, how deep do you go in storytelling? Let's rephrase it. How deep do I go into emotive storytelling? All right. Because look, if you've ever walked out of a movie, if you've ever shut a book and stopped reading it, if you've stopped reading a Facebook post or you stopped watching a Netflix series in the middle of the series, you, you will discover that nobody cares about a story. The story just story. What the heck is that? What the heck is a story? You can't hardly even put your mind, you can't hardly even visualize it because it's, it's just vague, right? So very few people care about story, let's be honest. What they really care about is what's in it for me, right? And to isolate and to find what's in it for me, then you need something that is extremely interesting to the viewer or the reader, right? And that is an enticing character they can relate to. If you're not creating stories with fascinating characters that resonate with the reader, uh, you're in an exercise of futility, right? Going into storytelling, I always start with a customer. What do they need to read? What do they need to hear? What emotions needs to be touched? In what way can I most resonate to their core buying need. And uh, so it's hard to, to paint a single succinct picture to that. But I was, I had placed this very thing over on LinkedIn and somebody asked me, can you push emotions too hard? And I was like, you betcha, right? And then I quoted Josh Manheimer, who is my favorite working copywriter today, where he tells a horrific story. And he says, man, it was fun to write. It was interesting to read, but good luck getting anybody to buy after. You don't want to traumatize. You don't want to scare people so much that they become paralyzed, fight or flight, right? So there's this balance of feeling irritated enough to move toward or away from, right? Something, but we don't want them to be paralyzed or overwhelmed with an emotion or, again, thinking about some other solution or some other problem they have instead of the one that we want them thinking about. 
right now. So I wrote a Facebook ad for one of our clients in the writing space, and I started with the client, right? And I started with, I don't have the copy up in front of me, so I would butcher it trying to quote it. But ultimately, it began with, if you can write an ad like this, then you know you can make money online, something like that. It's your ad, your blog post, your landing page, whatever form it takes when it comes to story, it certainly helps to understand the different story arcs. Are you a hero? Are you a story that starts in the hole and works its way out like the Cinderella story or like the Rocky story, rags to riches? This is the power of good copywriters. The copywriter who understands these story frameworks, who understand how to emotionally move a client from point A to point B, that is a copywriter worth hiring and retaining. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the story has got to do one thing, and that's to direct the emotions of the reader. And that's the copywriter's job. You are mm-hmm. in charge of the, copy, of the reader's emotions from sentence one to CTA. So, Aaron, I- I think mm-hmm. I heard it at the beginning, you say that people don't care about stories, but then you just went on how important story is for moving. Sure. Yeah. As Sto- a reader, like, can you help me bridge that gap? Again, it boils down to the character, right? It boils down to the characters in the story. So I don't care about boring stories. I think everybody right. cares about stories. We can't not care about stories. But Sto- boring stories are not engaging. Stories that don't resonate, that doesn't speak to the reader. Heck, I could tell a story about some NFL quarterback being the greatest thing in the world to a cosmetic audience. And what do you got? You got a big fat zero, right? So the story in and of itself. I've got an example, real world example, where I wanted to throw my laptop across the room. So (laughs) there are different types of stories, right? And so one is a nightmare story. And this guru, he was selling a marketing like high ticket coaching service, right? And his nightmare story. So like the worst day in the life, right? His nightmare story was that he lived on a credit card for a year trying to sell an ebook and he only made 35 bucks. Now this is a biz op product. And so I'm going, man, I'd love to even get a credit card, let alone live on one in a house for a year. I don't even have a house, right? And so it was so revolting. I logged off. Like, I was like, nope, I don't care what he has to say. I don't care he has proof. Like, this is just, it made me mad. It didn't resonate at all. And I don't know who he intended to resonate with. Clearly, he resonated with enough people. But for me, as an avatar, I was like, blah. You don't know. That's just It was disgusting. Flip that to one of John Benson's great VSL copywriter. One of his nightmare stories was when he was overweight because he did a lot of weight loss stuff and he was overweight, obese, and he had a problem with junk food. He wanted junk food. He went to the gas station and he stole a package of powdered donuts and stuffed it in his jacket and scarfed them down in the parking lot because he was so addicted to junk food. Like now that picture it's always going to be worse than any weight food issue that most people reading or watching the VSL are going to experience, right? You can feel like, oh my God, right? Wow. So if it worked for this guy, it's got to work for me when I just maybe eat an extra serving of food right? at dinner. Completely different story. It, you got to pick the right one. And there's always many you can pick, but it's resonate. Like you said, Aaron. A story is a double-edged sword, all right? It is that anytime you go out to tell a story, you can tell it in 
umpteen different ways. So many of the more disgusting for me, this is personally morally disgusting kind of stuff, is what you out on ClickBank, I think it is, mm. and they'll go out there and they will tug at hard strings and they'll rip your eyeballs out. I lost out. my leg while right. I was having a heart attack on the way and yeah. <laughs> And one of the more $100 million BSLs, I sat there and I literally had a visceral sickness watching it because I knew everything that they were doing had already been done in the prior product a decade earlier. Same testimonies, right? Same characters, same lies stacked on top of another, and it did $100 million, right? And so you have to draw your line in the sand. What's your job? Is your job to tell a story? Where's your job to tell the dang truth? All right. So I'm a brand owner. (laughs) I'm not a storyteller. How do I go about writing stories? What's the easy source for stories? Your story as a brand owner. Like, how did you come to building the business? Right. How did you come to finding your product? Why did you do it at all? So that's like an about page story. But that's the easiest one to start with and get comfortable with stories. And in most cases, or a lot of cases, people started their product or brand because it is solving their problem, which means yeah. that they're the, the ideal client Usually. anyway. I'm going to say that brings up user-generated content, right? If you've got user mm-hmm. users generating your content, you've got built-in story, right? Yes. That's authentic, that's real, that translates, that connects, resonates, right. everything magical about it. And that you can use if you have the test, the written test or the video testimonials, you can convert those to written testimonials. And in almost all cases, a good user generated content or testimonial is telling a story about where they were, what problems they had. Yep. They couldn't find a solution. They found this product. It solved all their problems. And now they're going to buy into perpetuity. Yep. Same for a good case study. A good case study. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We'll tell that story. Yeah, and to that point, coming back to your earlier comment about Tony Horton of P90X, just saw this morning or yesterday morning, whichever it was, at their newest ad, and it starts with user-generated content. And the lady leads yeah. it into, and then it turns into this whole long-form sales process. And that's it. These are smart people right here. And that's why UGC works is because it is storytelling, and it's typically mm-hmm. authentic storytelling and feels authentic. and. That's it. And people just want that trust and that it has worked for somebody else. Yeah. Cool. So we're getting very close to the hour here. Do you guys have any final thoughts? This won't be the last copywriter one that we have. What's <laughs> be brave. CTA? I huh? think be brave. Be brave. I think, yeah. yes, many brands are afraid to be authentic, afraid to be themselves, afraid to touch any waters of story or whatnot. And yeah, my, my advice as a copywriter is to be brave. I guess my I have a slew of final thoughts, but I'll stick it to one. All right. Let's bring it back to chat GPT because it's just in the news. It's very topical. And as a copywriter, I would just say, if you don't know it, you'll, you will you'll regret it one day. It is, I told Tom going into it, that's a very stiff arm. I'm a traditional copywriter in many regards. And so I started playing with it and I was like, turned to my wife after about a week of it. And I was like... I didn't think it could make me a better copywriter, but dang, I think it's actually going to make me a better copywriter. It's just another tool. It's not going to replace you. Mm-hmm. It's a good creative partner. Not, I mean, just I don't know about mm-hmm. copywriters, but when I'm thinking through ideas and working through stuff, just to have somebody to chat back and forth with, 
that can go search the whole information of all the world that can bring back different ideas that I don't think of is a really mm -hmm. powerful tool to be using. Great, Lynn and Aaron, thank you very much for hopping on. I always enjoy these creative and customer psychology conversations. <laughs> and everybody out there, if you enjoyed this show, please share this with your friends. And we are on every Friday uh, live, typically. And so come back and watch more. And next time, ask lots of questions because we're here to answer them. And if you are a brand out there looking for some help with your copy or advertising in general, go head over to tier11.com. We'd be more than happy to chat with you and see how we can help you out. Thank you very much and see you later. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.